0: for being here everybody, um, end of the day, so the fact that you showed up at all, I appreciate it, it's cool, um, and I'm really excited to be here, I wish I was staying a little bit longer for one day, I have to fly back to California tomorrow, um, but I'm, I'm excited to talk about this, so um, let me just give you a, a little bit of a context of what we're going to talk about and kind of my style for presentation. Um, but first and foremost, this is um, all about helping students develop these executive functioning skills. But this is not a content or a curriculum. Um, and so it's designed in a way to dovetail with teacher's existing job. Which is either teaching a or teaching a subject. Um, and most of the time, from my experience, we don't have enough time to even do that in a school year or a given school day or school week, but like you just don't normally see a teacher walking around school looking for something else to do. Right? It's just not kind of our 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 frame. So even if you're like, yes, I need my students, I'd love for my students to develop these skills. And we know the research behind it is what kind of builds the foundation for learning. Um, one part of that is where do I find the time and then where's kind of my zone of genius or expertise? And it may not be in developing that's why I'm here and hopefully help with that and historically these skills and I'll show you them in a little bit have um, kind of been left up to chance and I love this I don't know this person think someone sent it to me at some point but it really um, kind of puts an exclamation point on my work is that we can't just as we would never expect students to automatically know how to read like, I hope you just pick that up as you go through life right we would never think that or approach that way and, and Executive functions are really the same way, and yet historically we have them. And just as you go through um, life, we pick them up. And so, trying to make that explicit um, and in a way that is classroom-based, so it's kind of becoming the fabric of the school, but in a way that helps teachers or or, um, equips teachers with a way to do that without infringing upon your instruction time for the job that you're. So I'm going to skip over a lot of the, the research. Um, what I like to refer to this program is research-backed. It all evolved out of my own practice as a high school teacher. Um, and then over the last 15 plus years, I've been discovering why it had such an impact. And has continued to have an impact. So I did not take a deep dive on research and then build this program. I was in the trenches working with my students and it slowly kind of coalesced out of my efforts and then like I said I've gone back and then like oh that's that, Oh, that's why that happened and and so in that sense not research based but more research back but I'm going to skip over some of it um, so that I don't uh, run out of time with you all but some of it I will go into as well and then the one caveat I will say just my style of presentation. I, um, I'm a practicing educator. I still teach. Um, let's see. But we're gonna we're having some glitchiness here. but we can go to the compass um, And I just want to tell you my style of presentation. Um, whenever I'm sitting where you are, I really don't like role-playing. And, and stuff like that. Um, so my style is. I'm just going to tell you what I got, When I'm sitting there, I'm kind of like, just tell me about it, and then as a professional, I'll like make the decision. But we don't need to like act it out for the next hour or two. In so, in other words, I hope you have your notebook because I'm going to I'm going to talk a lot about some really really good teaching. I'm going to talk about the, the science around learning, really interesting stuff, and I'm not going to demonstrate any of it. I'm just going to tell you. About it. it's just really bad teaching practices. Okay, okay? so just. Know that. I'm going to do all of the talking for the next 55 minutes. And I'll try to leave some time for Q&A just as a way to get through it. But that really is just a, a, a professional nod to you. Okay, I think you're here to learn about this, and so we can get through a lot more. So, here we go. Um, I, am a, I, I love compasses and I love maps. That's not why this is up here. My, geology, or my undergrad is in geology. I'm a science teacher. Um, But the analogy, when we look at executive functioning skills, the reason I have this up, I think it's analogous to um, navigating with a compass and a map. And I know that that's not something a lot of people do ever, and certainly not as much anymore. Um, But in this sense, like if you think of a a student's educational experience, the destination is being successful or achieving, I pick that destination, and I navigate my way along this journey to get there. Not unlike being out in the wilderness and I have a map and a compass and a ruler and a pencil and I pick a destination and I triangulate and I find my way to my destination. And, and having those skills and habits are kind of these executive functions. And you might say, well, just plug it into GPS and follow the instructions. But for our students who um, are struggling with executive dysfunction, or I would say students who have experienced the last two years of life Right. Um, it, 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 whether it was you know, missed learning or learning loss, I like to refer to it as just interrupted learning. You know, we work with um, schools all over the country now, K-12 and community college. And we always try to remember that like a 6-7-8 setup, let's say. That the last time a kid is entering middle school, which is just this quantum leap, the last time they had a coherent year-long Normal education experience—they were in third grade, right? And you just like wrap your head around that. We all know this. I know I'm kind of preaching to the converted here, but for for those students, um, their experience in their education is if they are in the wilderness and we've equipped them with devices, we've equipped them with resources, we're right here, to help. But if I don't know how to use them, I lack the basic skills to utilize them, then I'm less likely to navigate. And I think a lot of students are experiencing school at this moment. And so I, I really believe that these executive functioning skills are like truly one, if not the key, to addressing or mitigating the last couple of years of school. And even if they're not, they're certainly not going to hurt anybody. Right? And if you're familiar with executive function, that might be a new term. Sorry, we we're going to glitch our way through this. It keeps just disappearing on me. Um, Executive functions. Some of the schools we work with, and I, I like this this term, they refer to it as uh, student Think of like all the things you have to do um, in and around to kind of surround whatever I'm trying to learn, but really set me up for success. Um, so back to my point of this being not a content or a curriculum. And by the way, if anybody <laughs> wants all of the slides, because I'm going to start moving pretty quick if this thing will work for me. Um, I'm going to put a QR code up at the end, and I'm doing that primarily. I'm going to blame this all on the first session I gave a talk this morning. And they said, bring about, uh, and whoever signs up, bring about half the number of handouts. Because, you know, people will go to other sessions. So I ballparked that, and there was three times more people in the session than had signed up, which is fun. But they took all your handouts, except for oh. four. There's four people in here who were here first, and they got the handouts. So um, I would love to send you, you'll know, see our um, guide for families that can really kind of digest a lot of what we're going to say. So, uh. now, am I going to have to stand over here? Let me see. There it goes. So it might just. Okay, so executive functions really are kind of an umbrella term in some ways. And we're gonna look specifically at six skills that research has pinpointed, really kind of move the needle or influence students in this kind of learning, teaching space. There's other kind of areas that might fall under executive function, So I wanna be very specific. These are the six skills that are really embedded or inherent in this program. I'm wondering if I put this up here. I'm not so much a podium. Uh, this will work a little bit better. So I'm gonna, like I said, move pretty fast. So write down what you can, but you can always get the slide deck from me at the end. Okay. Here's the, what I found in, in now it's been over 15 years of doing this work. I find it very interesting. Executive functions aren't really taught. Okay, in a traditional sense, they're best learned. When these three strategies are in place, when they are, uh, we're being explicit about what we're learning all over all of this. When students see them modeled, and most importantly, when they get practice with them by virtue of a predictable learning. And I'll unpack all of this. Right. That is why this is not a curriculum. For example, you saw up on the six set, the uh, six skills goal setting, right? A lesson on the importance of goal setting, just even saying that's boring, right? Like, students are going to be like "Yawn, okay, yeah, I know goals you're setting. Why not let's set goals within the context of what I'm learning, and then measure them periodically to see if it's influencing my ability to succeed, okay? So, not a correct frame of context. So, let's look at these three real quick. Being explicit, <coughs> I love this uh, this um, quote, that ambi- ambiguity is the enemy. Any successful change, and this is not about education, this is just in general, um, requires a translation of ambiguous goals into concrete behavior. In short, to make a switch, you have to script the critical moves. Okay, so I'm going to be very explicit about what we're doing. For us, and if you've been by the booth over there, you'll see when it comes to modeling for us, students have a physical organized binder. It's color-coded. For nonverbal visual cueing in the classroom, so I can engage with this routine. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in terms of being explicit and scripting those moves, modeling is one part of that. And that students not, don't just need lessons, but the key here is modeling, steady work skills, time management, basically functions. Okay. So being explicit, modeling, and then routine is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Um, I love this quote. If you've read Teach Like a Champion, um, consider one one unmistakable driver of students' achievement carefully built and practiced routines. Um, I am convinced now that more predictable learning spaces, the more predictable they are, um, they're safer. And when students consistently find themselves in safer learning environments, they're more likely to take risks that are inherent in So there's a part of predictability where I kind of just know what to expect. And depending on the population that you serve, for many students, life outside of school is anything but predictable. So if I can have some predictableness in my life or in this class or this grade level, it can have a profound impact. Um, However, with Organized Binder, here's what's different. I, I do. I believe in that predictable. This is how we start. This is how we transition. This is how we conclude, I, I, I believe in that. But what we're doing is by virtue of engaging in the routine, I get practice with those six skills. That's kind of the key to this. Um, and repetition is an important part. So repetition, I love this book. Um, it can't be, the importance of repetition can't be understated. In fact, it should be repeated. The repetition is an essential learning aid. It allows a conscious skill to transfer into one's subconscious freeing up working memory, I'll address that in a little bit, to allow for further skills learned. So it's kind of like, I got it, it becomes my own. Okay? Um, and that is only going to happen if I get routine opportunity practicing the skill to where all of a sudden it just becomes mine. And I'm using less cognitive energy trying to do that thing because now it's just mine. So that's part of the routine. And here's where, if you are with, sitting with any colleagues, one of the reasons that most of our work with schools is either school-wide or grade-level-wide, or if we're working with a district, in a cha- if students get the opportunity to have a similar learning routine from grade level to grade level, or you can imagine at the middle high school level, from class to class to class to class, to class right? I've seen this. There's a certain amount of mental calories that students can spend just navigating the school. I'm in middle school now, I have seven different classes, they all have slightly different expectations, they all begin slightly differently. There just takes a certain, there's a certain cognitive load to navigating that. What if we could ease that or reduce the cognitive load and I take those mental calories and I can focus on what I'm trying to do. And that happens with a shared routine. Um, And this cognitive load, if I can reduce it, right, um, it it taxes the the working memory. And working memory is defined as kind of the ability to go back in my mind, grab something that I've learned or experienced, and kind of hold it in cognitive space long enough to do something with it. That's kind of loosely how you could define working memory. But we also know that, that working memory is finite. There's a capacity to it. So if I'm overtaxing it with things that don't (coughs) aid in learning, then what am I doing? How am I setting my students up for success? And oftentimes, it's just that navigation piece. Is that making sense? Okay. All right, so for us, the daily routine is very explicit, and we model it every single day. We're going to start with something called a kickoff on a weekly lifeline, and don't worry, I'm going to make all of these much bigger. Um, the agenda table of contents, and I'm showing you this slide, small like this, for a, for a point. And this is really a nod to all of the teachers in the room, um, a respect for academic freedom, meaning you already have a job to do, and I'm pretty sure you were hired to teach executive functioning skills. Just don't think that probably came up. But we all know that you're, you're going to be more <coughs> successful and so will your students um, if they're starting to work on these. But you have a job to do and teach a class. So the way this is designed, I like to say, because I'm a teacher, designed by teachers for teachers, it has a very small time footprint in the classroom. It's gonna be the first few moments you'll see and the last few moments. And I can say from many, many, many personal classroom walkthroughs and observations now all over the country, that's historically some of the most underutilized school time. Just those first few moments and those last few moments. So if we could make bell-to-bell instruction a reality and take those gray areas and paint them black and white, one, it has a significant impact on management. you're struggling with classroom management, um, but it's also not interfering with your content. So let's jump in. I'm going to go through all six of these in this routine. <coughs> hope you're tracking with me. We're going to start with working memory. I just talked about that one and how we practice it. Now there's something else I should mention. I'm trying to move too fast and forgetting everything I want to say. Working memory is really interesting to me because um, working memory can get stronger. You can improve or increase your capacity with working memory by practicing it, by using it. Um, The other thing that I find interesting about working memory is we know it's tied to attentional skills. So students who have Um, Weaker working memories have a harder time paying attention in class. Probably not a big shocker. And and students with stronger working memories can kind of focus and pay attention. So think about your ASCR, this color-coded routine, this predictability. All of that is helping me kind of pay attention. And if I get a chance to utilize my working memory, probably unknowingly, um, it can actually help me engage and follow along with so, four of you in the room have this handout that you can look at. Um, everyone else, you're going to just look up here. This is where we begin each school day or class period with organized by day. Okay. You can see the B in the upper right hand corner. That coincides with the B tab for just quick reference. Um, and we start with something called a kickoff. I'll give you a quick background of where that name came from. By the way, bell rung, do now, question of the day, there's, there's a there's catalyst, there's all kinds of names for this kind of beginning with a prompt thing. For me, working with kids who definitely struggled with executive dysfunction but played soccer, I came up with the, the analogy for them that, hey, you know, learning is a lot like soccer. You, will, you don't just show up to the field and start playing because you're there, right? You get there, you get your gear on, you're warm enough, you find your position, the other team's doing that, the refs come, it's all this whole thing. The one thing you do know, and you never think about it anymore because you've done it your whole life, is when the whistle blows, you better be ready to play. You better be ready to engage. Okay? Of course. Well, the same thing's true of What What's it look like for you when you're ready to engage, or you're ready to learn? In the well, the good news is I'm going to model it for you every day in this class. I If I had a document cam, reason to use teachers in the room, doc cam, so I could never use a document cam because of my handwriting. But that's I can put that under and this would pop up. Everything in the organized binder that gets projected is identical to what they have in front of them. Okay, that's reducing friction, right? Um, when I designed this, let's see if there's a few people it was on overhead, overheads, transparencies. Look, I see some like endearing smiles like oh, a cool face. <laughs> and other people are like, well, that's a, what's a what's an overhead transparency? Um, but you could use kind of anything. But the point being is, this is the nonverbal visual cue that, in order to be ready to go when we begin, you just have to have your binder open to this D page. There's 18 of them in the semester one packet, there's 18 in the semester two refill, we because we're going to use them every week of the school, year, or every week that I implement the code. Okay? It's just there for students to, to utilize. So, all, and if you had one in front of you, you'd see that the goal setting is before this, and page tab A, that's gold. One in the screen. So if I have 30 kids in the class as a management piece, I can see who's ready to go, just glancing around. Otherwise. But the design there was, if I'm struggling or if I'm using, if I'm taxing that cognitive load, trying to keep up, well, I have all of these cues around that I can do. Okay. The number five up there, by the way, would just be the fifth week I'm using the program. Let's just pretend you started the first week of school, which you wouldn't have to do that. This would be the fifth week of school. And then we would wait. Typically when I see a prompt, if I'm doing classroom walkthroughs before this program is implemented, um, typically I would see some type of prompt up in the classroom and it's for students when they come in and it's meant to engage them when they walk in. Right? Is that a fair assumption? You've seen that? Like this is up? What I've seen that end up doing is because students arrive at different times, it creates a situation that when the school day or the class period does begin, I've created a situation where all 30 of you are in slightly different places working on this because you all arrived at slightly different things. And it can create an environment where the kids who come still on time, let's say, but now they might feel like they're a little bit behind because you got here like a minute and a half ago. And I'm just getting started. So there's that little kind of nuance. But now once the class does begin, I'm spending one to two, three minutes waiting for all of you to be done so we can go over whatever the prompt is. Okay? I've seen um, personally that's where classroom management issues can breed. There's just this in-between time while we're waiting. And it's very simple, same queuing, you're coming in, it's like, oh yeah, I just have to have my binder open for this page, and I'll be ready to go. And then when we begin, we all engage together and more often run them together as a learning community. Okay? Just a little little The math on that is kind of interesting. If I take one minute to get class started every day, my routine, it just takes us up, let's say, one minute till we're academically engaged or whatever. And the school year is 180 days on average, depending on where you are in the country. um, How many hours of class time have I wasted? Math teacher right here. Three hours, 180 minutes. If I just waste one minute a day, now, I'm saying I, as the teacher, it's my routine, it takes me, because I have this prompt up, let's say, I'm just making this up, and, right? But let's say it is three minutes a day before we can kind of get going on this, you can start to see my instructional time, and we don't have enough time to begin with. Okay, so, there's a little bit of clarity here, just modeling this for students, showing them. Uh, for me, this gives me a chance to reteach and revisit the previous day's objectives or standards, if it's a standards online course or lessons, it doesn't have to just be that day. We'll talk about why that's important in a minute. For, for the kids, for students, this becomes a safety net. No matter how, let's pretend it is Monday, no matter how I did on Friday, whether I got it or not, whether I was in class or not, whether I struggled with the homework over the weekend, we know that we're going to start each day with a moment to get my questions answered. And hopefully clear up my misconceptions before we move on. So really kind of becoming a safety net, and because of this format or this template, they're going to have the opportunity to record every day. Okay? And we're going back, ideally, to the previous lesson's objective or standard. So if I was at the end of the fifth week, and let's pretend I'm wrapping up a unit of curriculum and I'm having some kind of assessment, um, my students could have as many as 25 standards-aligned prompts with the response that they can use to learn to study from or prepare for that. Take that out to the end of the semester, take that out to the end of the school year. It becomes a robust resource. And here's the cool part for all the administrators in the room. Teachers have a class sample binder, so this is actually organizing teachers. Not that any teacher would need that. Everybody, it's good, but it, it can be, it can be really hard. All right, so it's meant to be this reteach. Students are recording it. Um, just some pictures from classes around the country. But I wanted to show you these last two, this is not a quiz, you haven't seen an ability to score anything here, this is a kickoff. And that indicates to me, I want you to know what you need to take care of and be ready to engage with us as a learning community every day. So, and it's pretty simple, in your science. Your right? Uh, they don't all have to be written. They can There's teachers doing all kinds of fun, creative things with this, giving this chance to review. I mean, you can just imagine here, this is in March, on the final, if you're in this biology class, it might be helpful to have this to look back on, and you've created it on one of these kickoffs. So kind of that robust resource. When a teacher gets done with this kickoff time, once we're kind of however long you want to take as the practitioner, what most of us say is, okay, now check yourself. And students, the scale most of us use is a one through five. One is like, I don't get it. Like I'm lost. Five is like, got it. The guy? Right? Simple self-assessment. If we were in a, one of our trainings, we would have a video uh, of a teacher using this in class and walking around and just seeing where, probably um, specific, kind of strategically seeing where students are self-assessing. What do you think they are? Um, but how often... You know, do students get an opportunity to pause and think about where they are in relationship to getting something? My favorite part about this, and I say this to my kids all the time, um, it's okay to be a one or two. The learning's not this binary thing where you're, you know, I got it or I don't. It's back to our compass analogy. It's a journey, and you're going to get lost at times on the journey. The important thing is knowing where you are and figuring how to get back on the right path. And so having a daily self-assessment like, where am I, Right? Creates a, like I tell my students, like, well, I want you to be a 4 or 5, but you're not always going to be. And I need to know that. Um, <clears throat> one other thing I like to do, just throwing it out there, is having students, once it becomes kind of culture in the class or the school, and they're okay with it, is say, okay, now check yourself, and then have them turn to your neighbor and say, like, tell me why you wrote what you wrote. And they're like, I'm a 2.7. I'm like, oh, okay, like, cool. There's nothing wrong here, but why? And starting to unpack why I kind of feel like I got it or where I'm at, can be pretty powerful. So these all end up in one of these organized binders. There's that B tab, and they have this collection going throughout the school year. In most cases, we would go through this agenda and table of contents on occasion. In the toolkit, but we begin and end. I mentioned making this kind of bell to bell instruction a reality let's just jump to the end of the school day or the class period and talk about um, our learning logs. And in the same way this kickoff is uh, typically a reflection of something we've learned or experienced in previous lessons or previous school days, the learning log is a similar reflection with what we've learned today or experienced today. So you can see that what that encourages teachers to do is begin with the end in mind. So if I am this seventh grade middle school teacher, and I have you for 50 minutes. Where are we going? What am I hoping that you can articulate or demonstrate or make connections to at the end of our lesson? You may get there. The lesson may not go as you thought. It may not always work, but it's having that kind of target. Um, And so students are simply reflecting and, and responding to whatever that prompt might be. This is the only place in Organized Finder where we dare teachers to try it. And the reason is this. Who's heard of an exit ticket? Okay. So the reason for this is, this is turned in at the end of the week, handed to the teacher. And the idea here is, we've done the kickoffs together. I'm not even going to look at those, right? I'm going to, as quickly as I can, read my students' learning logs through. I love the idea of an exit ticket, but as a little, school teacher or even a self-contained elementary teacher there's going to be days where i just don't have enough time to read 150 little pieces of paper there's going to be days where i just don't want to do that even if i had the time right that's just reality and i don't think it's the best use of your time as a teacher trying to get through that every day of course we would love to have that information every day but you can do the same thing and you could read these every day if you wanted but if you don't have the bandwidth you can read them at the end of the week. And you show up to class on Monday, and it's like having a pulse on every kid in the room, if you're reading them. And that's the problem. I talk to teachers. who are like, no, I do the exit ticket, and I get them, and I don't have time to read all of them. So I just pick a few of them out to get a feel for where the class is. And I'm like, well, so if he totally got it, but I didn't, and you happen to pull his, and I'm like saying, I need help in this. How is that? One. How is that fair? And how is that like really guiding your instruction? We can't do that. We want to be reading what students are writing to us. And when they do, when they know you're reading them, here's just a quick. See where it says yes. I'm not saying it's like a, you know, a novel that you're writing back to them. It's I'm reading these things as quick as I can because I got other stuff to do. But you show up, and it literally is a very powerful formative assessment, like I've never seen, because it's a one-on-one, private, intimate conversation between you and the classes, or class. And when they know you're reading them, if you've done anything in this work, they really start to dive into it. And even go completely off script, I can't tell you how many calls for help I've answered through the learning log, because that was the, the conduit, because they knew there was a caring adult that was reading what they're writing, and they're in this predictable space, like all of this kind of starts to, to bleed together. Uh, and we have a guide for educators hosted at our teacher dashboard. We have a bilingual guide for families. This is what I'd like to send you as an apology for running out of our, our handouts. Even if you got a handout, I'll, I'll send you this. Um, it's I'll send you the English one. It reads Spanish or English, depending on uh, which you read it. And it takes our training and distills it down for families to engage in this work because we work with a number of districts that report by 4th and 5th grade they really can't um, rely on content support or homework support in math and English in particular for various reasons. Um, But that doesn't mean they don't want to be engaged in the kids' education. So again that content agnostic piece that they can help in, in helping students with these executive functions. But in those guides there's multiple pages of prompts because the quality of student response is usually predicated on the quality of the prompt. What students are going to do is tell you what they did okay. Today I learned about photosynthesis. I know that I designed a lesson like what so then that's on me what' you learn today We' learned about photosynthesis oh, great I just spent your time writing that and responding. I took my time collecting it and grading it it didn't nothing so. Those problems can be pretty helpful. Um, For the sake of time, I'm going to draw your attention here. All of this stuff is really great reads. um, But this this idea of elaboration is the process of giving new material meaning. So let's say what we learned today in our lesson. Expressing it in your own words, your own voice, and making connections with what you already know. That's what the learning log is meant to be. And that's heavy lifting which is why we practice it every single day. And every time we're doing it, we're utilizing our working memory, and every time we use using our working memory, the stronger it gets. And the, the, the process here, I'll show you in one moment. This is my educational hero. I don't know if there's any Prairie fans in the room. But liberating education consists in acts of cognition, not transfers of information. This work that we're talking about is, is the foundation, like primary, the curriculum and content is secondary. And that doesn't mean one's more important than the other. It's just how it works. That, that if we focus only on the content, the transferals of information, um, students are less likely to learn and retain it. Now, I appreciate the dichotomy here, though. If I'm hired to teach 7th grade ELA, I got stuff I need to teach, and I don't even have enough time to do that, so there is this inherent Information transfer, but the more times I get to this, this metacognitive cognitive piece, the better. It, but it can't be like this, okay? Like, think about it, okay? Think about this stuff so that you like remember no, just build it. No, it's built into the routine the learning log, the kickoff, even that checkbox. It's all ways of like working with the information that I'm learning. This process, uh, known as retrieval practice, another really great read here, by the way. Um, In order to transform learning, we must focus on getting information out. A strategy called retrieval practice. Going back and grabbing them. We spend a lot of our time and energy trying to get information in, But if by virtue of a routine, I'm constantly getting information out in a no-stakes way, it's okay to get it, it's okay to be struggling, both. Um, It can be a win. With the learning log, uh, most of us encourage that you practice academic language. You're not texting me, you're not Snapchatting me, or whatever the new thing is. Practice grammatically correct complete sentences in whatever language you're using in the group. Just from your community. Just practice it. It can be be helpful. Um, And this ultimately is all built on Marzano's work about exposures, that we want to expose students to details multiple times, at least three. Ideally, no more than two days apart. So, that old school, like college professor one and done, I lecture on and I'm moving on, those days have to go away because um, it doesn't work. But think about organized binder. You've got, I give my lesson, do whatever you do, first exposure, and at the end of class, I'm going to have you reflect with the learning. Second interaction or exposure. If you give any next steps or homework outside of class, that could be the third exposure. And the fourth exposure, when you come back to me 24 hours later, within moments of starting, we're back to that concept or something. So the word I like to use is marinating. Just, and it's nothing you have to do as a, as a teacher or a school. It's the routine. It's just the routine. This is how we do it. So making bell-to-bell instruction a reality. We'll jump back to the beginning. Um, first thing after the kickoff is a quick Uh, Introduction to the lesson, but the skill here we're going to look at, so we've covered working memory, is planning and time management. This is the one, we work with community colleges, this is the one they're really excited about, that folks in the K-12 space are are, are addressing this. On most days, this is how quick it would be, I would have done my kickoff, and then I turn to the agenda, and it gives me a chance to introduce the lesson excited about it, tell you about it, that's some more of that predictability what's coming at me and whether or not there's next steps or homework. We actually, this is new for this year, have taken the titles off of these. Historically it said um, way back, which are those, said so like standard, in-class homework and then it was in-class homework. A lot of schools we work with, and I actually kind of agree with it, are either rebranding or rethinking homework. Um, we know homework used as a formative assessment is unreliable and inequitable, and, um, and so just thinking about what students do outside of class or outside of school differently. Um, so we've, we, and, and shared language at a school is really important, We're sharing a routine, what's the common language. So you can decide whatever these are. Let's pretend it's in class and homework, let's just say. For the sake of it, this would 15, 20, 30 seconds of me introducing the lesson, you're recording it in your parent guide says, hey, if you ever want to know what we're doing each day, just look at your student's agenda. We're going to have a little snapshot of it each day. And then I would move on to something called the table. Most days, that's what happens. But on occasion, to model this skill of planning and time management, what we do in our trainings is pause for a moment and say, think of whether it's outlined in your syllabus or just kind of think of what's coming up. We've got two weeks here on the front, two weeks on the back. Anything in the next couple weeks that might be a, a, a larger, weightier assessment or assignment or project or essay or something. It just has to meat to it, introduce it, and put it on the agenda like I'm about to show you. So I might say as a science teacher, hey, we're starting this new lab or this new unit this week, and we're going um, to do this heart lab. And I'm going to introduce lab reports next week. But next Friday, your first lab reports due. So let's go ahead and write that on our agenda because that's what people do who keep a calendar. And if I had the doc cam and I had decent writing, I would literally write it in five, ten seconds as you're writing it in. And then I might joke and say, hey, I'm not going to give you any homework the night before so you can put every last touch on your, your lab report. Let's write that on our agenda because that's what people do to keep a calendar. If you were in my... Actual classroom, by about week two or three, my kids like recite some of my sayings. They're like, we get it. That's what people do who keep a calendar. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually what people do. The reason I know my brother's birthday is coming up, of course I know it's August 6th, but I have to, oh, yeah, that's right. I got to put it on the calendar, right? That. And then I would move on. I'm certainly not doing this every day, but now they show up on Tuesday. We do the kickoff. I get my quick intro. I might mention this. I might not. I'm going to do the same thing Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And at the very least, no one's going to be shocked that there was a lab report. due. And on the higher end, they're starting to learn this skill of planning and time management. And I have asked this question, when I have more time, to teachers all over the country. And I think I've had one or two people raise their hand and say, yeah, someone. I've always asked, like, hey, when you were a young person, did anyone sit down with you in a calendar and kind of explicitly teach you how to use a calendar? Uh, right, And yet it literally is po- might possibly be the foundational executive function in terms of like living life. But we just hope you pick it up. Or we could just model, now fast forward to the kid who does go to community college. Who doesn't have maybe that that support at home. And they get that syllabus and what's the professor say? First day of, you know, school and here's your syllabus. And the expectation is you just better be ready to go on week 15 because you're in college, you've got to do this before, this before, and Well, I don't know how to unpack that and put it on a simple calendar. So now I'm struggling at the college level, not because of my ability, but because I've never have had any exposures. There's a lot more to be said there. We also provide planners. Lots of schools already have these kind of things, right? If you don't, you can, we can provide them as well. This is taking it to the next level and saying, okay, in every class you go to, middle and high school, um, where I think this is probably a little bit more applicable, um, what from today's agenda should go in your personal life? Is there anything that you should just jot down real quick that you need to know? And then we can dive in kind of deep into this in our trainings, that eventually when I get that under my belt, looking at time blocking, do I play any sports, do I take care of siblings, do I have other things, so I can start to hone in on when can I do that homework? or that stuff, and scheduling it on my calendar, it's, it really can set them up for success. But in most cases, kick off. I introduce the agenda for just a few seconds. And then we turn to our third executive function, organization, and this is the organized part of Organized Binder. Um, if you have one, and I've been showing you the pictures, there's no tabs for types of work. So there's not a notes, uh, homework, quizzes, and, okay, um, this is a framework or a template to capture a teacher's unit lesson plan, or unit lesson sequencing, and I believe that's just as important as the daily lesson plan, and I also believe that you get better at this sequencing the longer you teach, because you have to try it year after year after year, but here's our hypothetical day the 14, we did the kickoff, quick agenda update, update the table of contents, teacher pops. Do Next day, kickoff, agenda, never mess with the routine. Routine stays the same. Be as creative as you want, never mess with the routine. So if you just follow this date column, each day we're populating it, as we're going in class, this is all your teachers, your schools. This is your curriculum and content. This is just helping capture that organization. Um, and students, this is pretty novel in today's uh, online life and online gradebooks, students are required or held accountable to keep track of their scores on pencil and paper or pen and paper as we're going through the day. Okay. How many times have students come to you and be like, why do I have a, what, why do I have a, whatever grade in this class, like not necessarily make, well it's all in the gradebook, it's all online, you have access, are you looking at your grades? Mm, maybe. I mean, I'm not against online grade books, but this can be pretty interesting to see them keeping track of their score and that accountability. Here's all they do. That number just gets written in the upper right hand. Each student bundle comes with uh, 50 sheets of binder paper, so they have them all there. It could be something that you've created. It could be something out of a consumable. It doesn't matter. The lens here is it just belongs to this unit of curriculum, right? And it's really interesting to see as I'm going through here, think of this as a piece of paper here, behind G1, which would just be the first unit, I think there's 12 of these in the first, the semester one, and then 12 for the second semester. They would flip behind, let's say we're at number seven. Let's say I collected number five, and they're like, I have one, two, three, four, six, seven, like, hey, I don't have number five, right? And it might be because I haven't handed it back, it might be because you lost it, it might be because you didn't do it. But now you know, instead of everything being stuffed into some book bag or or someplace else. And not everything here has to have point value. This is just about this unit of curriculum. And when we get to the end of this unit, this becomes a cover sheet. And we staple all the students' work to that table of contents to create a thematic unit chunk, or unit packet. We can store it at the very back of the binder. Fresh beginning, new table of contents, let's dive into the new year. Very simple to do. And I tell my students, now think about this, the first day of school, I'm like, hey, you better listen up. Because everything in this class is on the final in June. It's a cumulative final, starting today. I will ask you questions in June about what we talk about today. And don't worry, you're going to knock the ball out of the park you're going to have everything so here's two of my ninth grade general science uh, leps so limited english proficient newcomers um, talk about cognitive load translating everything um, studying for a cumulative final with everything they've created or been given from the first day of school till this moment in june neatly chunked in thematic unit packets that are in their portfolio with kickoff prompts from every day of the school year with responses. And their learning log reflections from every day of the year. Right? I've literally had students crying on the day of the final. Happy tears. But one student in particular, Nina, um, I told the story this morning. Um, she walked into my class in the day of the final and she was crying. I you know what? Checking in with She was just like wiping away. I tried so hard on my finals, I studied really hard. And she said, in your class, it was so great last night because I was studying the whole year and I would get stuck on a concept and I would just grab that my packet and I would look at my notes from October and I would review it and I, was, I remembered it. And then I moved on. And she said, in most of my classes, I can't find stuff from like two weeks ago. And so I'm, I'm stuck with my textbook or now with my Chromebook. And that's less empowering. Than having that sense of agency, right? Starting to develop these skills and have these resources. And it's pretty simple. These end up back in their binder, which we stopped calling it a binder at that point. Um, I like to call them a trophy, because this is like literally what happens. This is, this is Grand Rapids. Is anybody here from Grand Rapids? Okay. Um, do you remember Creston High School? It's Creston, back in the day, it's closed. Um, this is a kid in uh, Cleveland. This is out in California, but I'm just showing you faces. I don't even know why I can remember where they are, but the, the sense of pride. And interestingly, in our increasingly digital life, this portfolio means so much. Like there's evidence right here. Like I can hold it. It's mine. Um If do any of your schools do student-led parent-teacher conferences? Imagine like that sense of like, here's what do you want to see? There's my reflections, from the, there's everything, they really, they really get into it. Now sometimes you don't want certain resources trapped in those packets and that's where the toolkit comes in. If it's also part of organization, bless you, think of this as an appendix. Anything that I'm going to use from unit to unit to unit or reference from unit to unit to unit or attitude from unit, that goes in the toolkit so that it doesn't get stuck in all of these packets that I'm creating. I don't mean stuck in a bad way, I just want everything to be highly organized and accessible. So I'm just putting up like hypothetically in a science class, these might be some things. Like I might introduce the scientific method the first week of school. But as we do labs all year, I want you to reference your notes on how you set up hypothesis. Okay. Typically these are fairly kind of like subject or grade level specific. Um, but it's interesting when you as. I was a department chair at my uh, former school for many years, and we had really um, engaging and fun conversations around, what are we putting in the toolkit in ninth grade? What like skills and habits for science learners that we're gonna build on in 10th and 11th, because we were all using this this setup, this program. And and within like two years, our physics and chem teachers at the junior, senior level, would come to staff meetings our department meetings These kids, like, they don't have to make a data table. They don't have to do all, and it was all the things. We said, we need them to be working on these kind of functional, science-y skills. And it was happening, right? And the cool thing is their portfolio is theirs. They get to take it with them. Okay? It's kind of an investment the school is making when they invest in our program. So F5, or whatever, these are just F1, F2, F3, F4, F5, just to distinguish it. Okay? That's your typical, actually, that's the typical daily routine. Quick kickoff, even quicker agenda table conference. Do your thing, teach your class. We might reference the toolkit and then reflect with you. It's a small, super small Alright. These are the aspects that I'm not going to be able to get into in too much detail, but they're used periodically throughout um, the semester or school year. Um, and the first one I'll just mention, and I'm going to go way too fast here, but goal setting. Um, hopefully you've heard of you know, some different goal setting templates or like smart goals. Um, it's pretty fascinating, most students unless they have 504 IEP or some type of individualized plan, have never set goals. And also interestingly, most adults haven't either. It's just something we talk about I think a lot, okay, cool. like, but really sitting down and setting a goal. There's all kinds of interesting research around goal setting and the impact it has on learning, and it often gets overlooked. And I think it's because of time. I do think it's because of time. For us, we want to start with an overarching goal, have a public class, learning community conversation about how would you accomplish that goal? Keep it very general. We're not obviously going way deeper in this in our trainings. Um, but the reason it's public, and a lot of the stuff, if it's this this general, you're going to hear things like, what do you do to pass a class? Right? You're going to hear things like, I do all my homework, I pay attention in class, I review my notes, things that I bet most of us would be like, yeah, of course, kind of basic stuff. I always encourage students to like, say, hey, share it out. We'll get a list going up on the board. Because somebody may have never thought about the fact that if I just do all of my homework, I'm more likely to pass a class. There may be a kid that's like, I never thought about that. Huh. I, I, wow. Like, and that's, that's what the the, the synapse is kind of finally connected. So let's just pretend that's what, where we land with this. Okay, I'm going to try this. The, the question then is when and when. Don't just tell me you're going to do it. When and when. For me as a high school teacher, I'm going to come to class on Oh, really? First period. 8 o'clock in the morning. I know you, Shireen. You live with your mom. Your mom's out of the apartment before you get up. And it's December, it's cold, even in California. That's why you're 20 minutes late to my class every day. Oh, you have to take three city buses to get to my class. So when and where, when do you have to get up? That kind of thing. Like really get it. So it might be something like this. Well, when I get home from school, this man, it's an action item. do I don't have to think about this. I call these character questions. You either do it or you don't. You're home. you got a snack. <coughs> There's the table, you have some homework, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> and with students, it's funny, you think, OK, if I do my homework, I'm likely to pass the class. All right, cool, so it's about this daily task. And you ask them, what's the most important? Goal, or sub-goal, or your daily task? What do kids say? Everybody, my goal, I'm going to pass this class. I'm like, no, it's not about your goal. Just do this every day. Just try this every day, and let's see. And we're going to measure it every you know, seven or eight weeks. So we're going to see. And we're going to reset it if we need to, and we're going to, we're going to have this be kind of part of the fabric that we're, we're learning. Alright, goal setting, accountability, all of this is great, but if we don't pause about once a month and have a binder check to make sure you're following this organizational routine, um, then this can start to happen. And a lot of people say, they're like, hey, that looks pretty good, actually. Right? Uh, this picture, sadly, okay, is from my classroom, and I'm the guy who designed this program. So you would think, what do you think, like, all my kids are just, like, on it? No. So every few weeks, we've got to put it all back together. Uh, this is a college professor. They teach English comp. This is their organized binder. And if you want to actually see one, come by the table. Um, this is the kid, or the student, I should say. That's their binder for all of their other college classes. And we know, you're, you're just less likely to be successful here. It has nothing to do with your ability. Right? It's just these basic skills. And so, what we, with Organized Binder, what we do is about every fourth week. Okay? Uh, by the way, our binders, I'll, I'll tell you about it real quick. Our binders don't have any pockets. Does anybody want to know why? So, they right? all in there. So, and I will take a moment to tell you about our product line, because um, I'm very proud of it and committed to it. Um, everything that we produce is U.S. made for the lowest possible carbon footprint, which I think is important. Our binders are FFC certified, so they're, it's a federal, not mandate, but criteria that they're made from sustainable material. And all of it, all of our um, stuff is 100% recyclable, except the metal rings in the binder, because those don't exist yet. We're not quite there. Not that we want this portfolio being recycled. But why spend so much time and energy preparing the next generation and destroy the environment at the same time? And We're bad actors in our industry. We are. Right? We all kind of know that. So just if that, that resonates with you, just let me know there's no bad plastics or vinyls that will end up in a landfill forever. Did you know that? that all plastic that's ever been made is still here? It's all here still. Like we're just eventually going to be like wading through tunnels of plastic or something. Anyway, hey, I digress. Uh, you're gonna, there's dates are set ahead of time, and so about every fourth week, this is in our guides and on our teacher dashboard. It's kind of fun, it's kind of like gamified. Students, so there's a class sample binder, so the teacher has their portfolio. In the um, students exchange binders and they check. They find all the things that are wrong, So you stop seeing your mistakes if you see them every day. So it's reinforcing these organizational habits. They update this, which is just kind of an expanded version of that blue dot I just showed you, um, or D. And they hand it back to the kid, the student. They can put everything back. I always like to say if something has a place where it lives, it's more likely to find its way home. But sometimes it still ends up in that bag or wherever. So we're going to help it find its way home. And then teachers just go around and they do a quick spot check. Does your binder look like mine. And the whole point is we want students having that portfolio the school, and, uh, that we were training in this—I I, forget—last year, sometime, one of the teachers stopped and was like, "Oh," and he's an IT teacher, all tech. He was like, "I get it. This is like the crown jewel. Like they end up with this thing, so we have to pause and just make sure that we're we're reinforcing these organizational skills." For those that have a syllabus, that's tab E in the binder. That's a way to also encourage the more. Uh, Familiar students are with the syllabus. They're less like, more likely than not, to do with it when they get one. And then the sense of self-regulation. In this piece, this whole thing, is about self-regulation. There's a consistent daily routine, and I have to either choose to engage in that or not. Even organizational components. There's a bit of self-regulation there, so it's, it's definitely improving there. But in Tab H of our binders. Um, we have passes, they're not school passes, or nurses passes or emergencies or um, they're kind of like currency and what most of us do is you get three a semester and any of them that are unused at the end of that term are worth one missing a cent. so now it's like I don't know I don't know if I'm just going to run out the door real quick um, and we can get in a conversation about code and stuff you can't keep in the class, but it's more of a code. It's that self-regulation. Um, I hope there's some Dweck fans in the room. I always end with Depp Dweck that simply raising standards in our schools without giving students the means of reaching them is a recipe for disaster. It just pushes the poorly prepared, poorly motivated students into failure and out of school. And this last bit here we're seeing after these last two years in, in, in ways that we've never, at least in my 20 years in education. So and I'm, I'm a believer that these predictable routines and these executive functions um, that lay the foundation for this developing this agency. Um, I'm going to show you a QR code in just a moment, but if you want to grab my personal information, that's our website. Um, you can find us on whatever social channel we're not really active there, but you we'll can go and check that out. Um, I would personally love to hear from you. So the way we do it, we we come in and work with schools, networks, or districts, colleges, at any level, to train and support teachers over the course of a school year. It's never a one-time training. Um, So we're really big on that support and relational piece to help students. Students get the the bundle. Part of that is that bilingual guide that goes home to the family. It's all there for you. Um, But what I wanted to do, and I'm going to... Tell yeah. I'm going to be perfectly honest, this is my first time ever using a QR code, I had to look it up. you know how to make a QR code? It's so easy! You just go to any web page and right click on it, it's that easy. In Chrome, or I imagine others, and it says create a QR code for this page. And I was like, I'm getting fancy in my afternoon session, but this is for me, I don't know why there's a dinosaur on there. But what that should do, and I'll come back to it. If you don't know how to do this, you open your camera, and it'll make a little square, and then when you see the square, you click on it, and it takes you to your web browser. Something I didn't know before the pandemic either, but that's how you order food now. Um, It's going to take you to our general... I didn't get that fancy because I didn't have time, and I don't design our website. It's going to take you to our general contact page. What I would like to do is email you our guide for families, just to... It summarizes everything we're talking about in a less frantic way, but just put CEA in there, and if you would like a um, uh, copy of these slides, that's what I was trying to say, um, the the packet, the the guide that I'm sending will have that packet, but context, so I think you'll appreciate that more, I don't, But if you also want the slides for the research and the stuff that I went way too fast on, this normally is like a two-hour time. Um, So thanks for hanging with me. Uh, Okay, good. So that's where you'll end up. This is not mandatory, but I would love to send that to you. Um, There, once again, is the QR code. If it doesn't work for you, we'll just come up and email yourself on my computer. Thank you for spending two, you know, an hour and two minutes of your time. I, I always like to say one thing at the end, one, it's such an honor that you me you know, in an afternoon, kind of towards the end of a conference and you've been going all day um, in a very warm classroom for all of you, not from California. I walked in here and I was like, ah, oh. I <laughs> didn't think about this is going to put everyone to sleep, I feel, feeling good. But um, I just hope you, whether or not you're like, yeah, I love organized finder, or I want to learn more and bring it to my school, I hope you found this relevant to what we all do help kids be successful that's like my deep intention so I'll be here for Q&A but thank you for spending your time with me thank you.